If you're curious to engage with a lot of the topics we explore on the podcast in more creative and embodied ways, we welcome you to join us in Alchemize, our 10-week audio-based program of daily imagination practices intended to disrupt status quo ways of thinking, sensing, relating, and being. To be honest, without any grant support for our show right now, and we did just get turned down by several mainstream environmentalism philanthropies, this program and our Patreon are our primary means of supporting our labor for these free podcasts right now. We really want to remain untethered to corporate interests, and every small contribution to our Patreon or enrollment in our program Alchemize helps to ensure that we can continue producing these vital conversations that feature voices and perspectives often sidelined from mainstream media. So if you value our work and want to dive deeper with us, join us in Alchemize today at greendreamer.com slash alchemize and join our Patreon starting at just $3 at patreon.com slash greendreamer. Thank you so, so much for however you were able to support our work during these critical times. We are so deeply grateful. I think we had a lot of skeptics. People were like, oh, this is a scam. Like, it's too good to be true. Water bottle leggings made fair trade and they're giving away for free. And this is total BS, you know. But as soon as they got the product, that's when like, we really saw, like, you know, this snowball effect. How was Girlfriend Collective able to so quickly establish itself in the athletic wear space as a conscious fashion startup? What does it take to cultivate a loyal customer base that feels so emotionally connected to your brand that they'll champion, support, and continuously share what you do? That's just the tip of the iceberg of what you'll hear today. I want to take a quick moment to thank our sponsor, Connecta, which is a digital sourcing platform connecting ethical brands and suppliers to retail buyers across the globe. So if you're a conscious business owner of a retailer or the founder of a conscious fashion or lifestyle brand, this is a platform that can really support, streamline, and elevate your work to a global audience. I'll share some words of wisdom on running a purpose-driven venture with you from its co-founder later in the episode. But if you want to check them out first, you can head to connecta.co. That's K-A-N-E-K-T-A dot C-O. And now to our episode. Let's dive in. Hey, it's Kamea Shane, and this is Green Dreamer, a podcast for creatives, visionaries, and entrepreneurs dreaming of a sustainable future. Thank you for bringing your light. If you haven't already, make sure to hit subscribe, and together, let's learn what it takes to thrive in every sense of the word. Our guest today is the co-founder of Girlfriend Collective. If you're in the eco-fashion space, this is a brand you've probably heard of because they really made a huge splash with their launch. If you don't already know the brand, be sure to check them out at girlfriend.com and on Instagram at Girlfriend Collective. Their branding is so on point. They're all about fostering inclusivity in all that they do, and their athletic wear is mostly made out of recycled plastic bottles or other eco-conscious fabrics like Cupro. Uh, Cupro specifically, it's one of my favorite fabric choices. It's made out of cotton linter, which is essentially, as of now, a byproduct of the cotton industry. Industry. So be sure to check their athleisure wear out. It's super cute. And stay tuned as we go over some of what's really helped the brand to take off and cultivate a loyal customer base. 
Green Dreamer, starting off with what got him into the field of sustainability and sustainable fashion, here's the co-founder of Girlfriend Collective, Kwang Din. Yeah, so I'm fighting college training. I've never finished. I dropped out with a math credit, but <laughs> um, I was a mechanical engineer and as a capstone, I did a lot of research and implemented solar power and electrical sustainability. And I also worked as a, um, as a student engineer while in college at my local utility as a conservation engineer for, in partnership with like, the Bonneville um, Power Administration. So long story short, I helped uh, large electrical utility customers to save energy by implementing new technology that was around at that time. This was like in 2004, 2005. Um, after that, I realized engineering wasn't my thing, but sustainability and, and trying to live a life that's a little more fruitful um, in terms of leaving this world a little bit better place than you found it. <laughs> that's been an important thing for me. And so I want to be an entrepreneur. And my first foray into, into entrepreneurship was I started um, a few denim lines back in 2005 when denim was I think at its peak. You know, you had all these brands with really cool butt designs and I wanted to take my experience with like what I felt like doing the if I'm going to do something, I'm trying to do it as sustainable as possible. We were one of the first uh, denim lines to be made at, made from organic and fair trade cotton, and we cut and sewn um, at a ethically responsible facility in LA, and then eventually over to India. And, and we, I did that for three years and sort of proved my point of you know conscious consumerism back then was sort of new, but it was growing. There's a lot of people that you know if they were to put their dollars into something, they wanted a product that they could be proud about and talk about and feel good about. And um, for us, when we did our research, when I did research, con, the con industry itself was a pretty harmful industry, not socially, but environmentally as well. And so, you know, we wanted to build something that one, was high quality and two, responsible and um, got a lot of really good press. And then fortunately for us, the economy did collapse because it forced me out of the fashion business the whole wholesale to retail game and God means the internet. And so. <laughs> so you've been watching this uh, conscious consumerism rise because you've been very aware of this since like 10, more than 10 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. This is like when tree hugger was starting, you know, like <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they were starting and we were starting and like, like when we were starting, there was like maybe one other brand. Um, it was loom state and Eden. Um, you know, Eden is a Bono brand, right? And he did organic and, and um, you know, at a higher price point and uh, ethically manufactured. And so it was just us two sitting on the department store shelves. We weren't like the most popular, but I think we meant something back then, you know. And I think a lot of people really looked at those brands and, and what we were doing, especially the early, early consumers that were like, yeah, you know, like this is before like fast fashion was even a thing before. The Nasty Gals or the Mod Claws or the Forever 21s or the Zeros was like really at its peak, you know. And so for us, I think back then, yeah, we weren't, we weren't the hottest brand on the market, but we, we saw our, our stuff sell through, you know. And we did see like demand for our goods, especially, um, you know, one of my brands was a lower price point brand called Good Society. And we were sold at Urban Outfitter. And our first premium de denim line, uh, it was you know, the entry point was 270 bucks. And then Urban Outfitter got a hold of us and saw what we were doing. They were like, you know, this is a really great brand. Um, you know, we really, really understand what you're, you're trying to do. Can you make it for at a lower price point for our customers? 
And we did that, you know, we did an organic and fair trade down the line at a hundred bucks. They launched it online at that time and it sold out in like eight hours or something. It was mm. super quick. And after that, you know, they put us into every single door um, and that sold out within a couple months, um, which is, I think, one of their fastest selling denim lines that they had at that time. And after that, you know, in 2008, they put us into every door. But, you know, unfortunately, the economy didn't do so well and we had to get out and it affected us too. But, but even then, we didn't have an issue of selling our goods at full price. The issue was a lot of brands or a lot of stores were selling our goods at full price, but using the dollars that they earned from our brand to pay off other brands that were more well-known, you know, which is part of the reason why I was thankful that I was able to get out. I feel like the early days, it was still new, you know, people were growing and the people that were really into it were really into it, you know, and they were telling their friends about it and, and just talking about it. And so, but I feel like now with the rise of the internet, the rise of like blogging and the rise of like, you know, everybody has a voice on Instagram, on Facebook. I feel like to be able to build a product that means something is just, you know, a lot more powerful because the content to consume is a lot easier, you know, today than, than the word of mouth, like 2005. So what eventually led you to starting Girlfriend Collective? Like, how, what was the ideation process behind this? So, you know, I got I got the itch back you know, two and a half years ago, three years ago on um, this is after eight years of doing digital media. I built a pretty good perspective on how to, how to market myself online, how, how to understand like online marketing in general. And you know, back then we saw like all these like direct consumer brands launching, and they were really successful. Like from the Warrior Parkers to Everlanes to you know the Guever, and and we felt like not to say missed the boat, but like I felt like I could make a really great product that can be talked about and people you know would really really like. If I just did direct to consumer, you know, I think it could be really successful just because like people want to talk about what they buy if they have something good to say about it, especially if the product quality is really high and the price point is right. And so, and that's how the idea started. I was like, I really want to get into this space. I know how to build product. I know how to like, you know, do fashion right, whether it's denim or activewear or underwear or whatever it is. Like, you know, I think as a product person with an engineering background, you know, I didn't shy away from like, oh, you know, what, what sort of, you know, fashion initial am I going to get into? It's more of like, you know, what impact can I have in which industry um, and be able to make a product that's, that's really super exciting. Yeah. So for someone like you, you were already pretty much an expert in digital media, in sales and fashion. What was your greatest challenge bringing Girlfriend Collective to life? I think um, the production of our fabric was really, really hard just like in, in anything. And so <laughs> the, the, the type of structure that we had in our, in our fabric it just takes a lot of time. So and we're using, you know, recycled materials, which isn't like the most optimal optimal material to to make fabric in uh, just because of the dyeing process. And so, and I think that's why a lot of brands don't use recycled um, polyester just because of the inherent issues you get in the product, uh, production process. Uh, but for us, you know, it didn't shy me away from being able to, to do it. And so I think that was probably the hardest part was just sticking through and making sure that, you know, yes, it is hard to produce what we need to produce, but it's worth it. And at any point, we could have, like, easily just bought fabric off the shelf that wasn't made from recycled polyester. I think that would have been easier and we could have got to market a lot faster and scaling would have been an issue. But for me, like, you know, it wasn't about making money or it wasn't about, like, you know, building a brand that 
crushed it and be on TechCrunch and, you know, float all these like crazy numbers and get extreme high valuations or raise a ton of money. It was like, you know, I want to do this. I want to do this right. I'm going to do it my way without having the pressure of like, you know, just buy whatever fabric that everyone else uses and just rebrand it, which I felt was happening in the marketplace um, in terms of having direct consumer brands. You know, it's like you can buy the same stuff at whatever store, like even like a place like Nasty Gal or Modcloth, I know where their stuff is coming from. You know, it's coming from, you know, the LA fashion district. They just buy stuff that Forever 21, you know, would buy, but they merchandise it differently. They, they take different pictures, but it's the exact same stuff. But for us, you know, I didn't want to do that. And so I think that was the hardest part, was just like sticking through and making sure I did what I said I was going to do. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think, what kept you going in spite of these challenges? When we got the fabric back in our sampling process, and it was really, really good. And we sampled a bunch out, and everyone said that this was like the best legging that they ever had. You know, and that's why we did that pre-campaign. I was gonna say the first time I heard about Girlfriend Collective was uh, this Facebook ad that told me I could get a free pair of leggings made out of recycled plastic bottles. So I did that, and I, that's how I heard of you. And I feel like that's part of your really powerful launch because you just kind of like came out of nowhere, and now everybody knows about Girlfriend Collective. Can you walk us through the thought process behind your launch strategy and other things you feel like were key to a successful launch? Yeah, and I think that's that's back to what I was saying before. It's like you know. I had a really strong perspective on what the product should be, and it, it goes hand in hand with what the brand is, being ecologically manufactured plus ethically cut and sewn. And so, you know, I wasn't going to give up on that. But then when I saw and when we sampled out the fabric and we saw, you know, the early production run and, you know, we tested on a bunch of women and they literally were like, you know, this is better than anything I've ever had, even like the $100, $110 price point leggings. I felt like we have something here that if I could just get as many women into this product as quickly as possible, I would have customers for life, right? Uh, in the e-commerce world, it's all a lifetime value game. It's it's how do you convert customers online and get them to come back time and time again. And so you see that with a successful online direct-to-consumer businesses, like, you know, the repetitive shoppers. And, and for us, we felt like we had something so strong that, you know, I'm going to just give this stuff away and know that they're going to come back. And that's why we did that campaign was like this fabric. I, I feel like it's a, it's a unicorn fabric that we made of how you know soft it is, how stretchy it is, how compressive it is, and does so many different things. Um, and we got such good feedback from our, our initial trials that it just made a lot of sense. And, you know, not to say like this sort of thing hasn't existed before. Like you look at, you know, infomercials back in the, like the 90s and 80s, you know, it's like, you know, this internet marketing worked. It's like, you know, give some something to somebody for free and hopefully they'll come back you know you see it on late night television right um, if it worked back then it should work in a digital space as long as the product is good and that's what i felt like i wouldn't have done this campaign if the product was good we've seen copycats you know you see it online all the time now it's like oh you know free sunglasses oh free leggings oh free bra free whatever especially you know brands that sort of like you know those fast fashion sort of looking brands where they're just like trying to grow really, really fast and they do the same thing. And I don't think, I think the only way that you can do something like that or something that we did is if your product actually warranted in terms of like, you know, we believe in it so much and we believe in the quality and so much that we're going to do this because we know you're going to come back. And for the most part, it worked, right? And you see the feedback, um, you see our reviews on our product, um, you see commentary that we see on Facebook and Instagram and our bet paid off because people really did say that this was like the best product they've ever had. 
How certain were you that you were going to get all of this return on investment when you first launched that free leggings campaign? Yeah, so, you know, we budgeted, I think, like 10,000 pairs or something. Mm -hmm. And we blew through that in the first hour. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, okay, this has some legs here, you know. And it was like one of two things. It was like people on the internet just want free stuff, and I, I knew that. But I feel like as soon as we start delivering, it's really, really going to pick up and go super viral. And so as soon as we started delivering the stuff, that's when we really see like it pile on. You know, it's like people were tagging their friends. They were like commenting on our Facebook ads. They were commenting on our, they were tagging their friends on our Instagram profile. Like, this is the brand that you have to try out. They're giving away free leggings because it's the best. I just got them. I think we had a lot of skeptics. People were like, oh, this is a scam. Like, it's too good to be true. Like, you know, water bottle leggings made fair trade and they're giving away for free and this is total BS, you know. But as soon as they got the product, that's when like, we really saw like, you know, this snowball effect. Yeah. So in addition to letting people try this out for themselves, I feel like Girlfriend Collective has been able to develop a brand with really loyal customers like brand evangelists who feel emotionally connected to your brand and everything that you do and that you stand for. How do you think you were able to do this so like foster emotional connections among your customers i think that's that really comes down to like you know one what i've always known is all the feel-good stuff is always tertiary like people don't really care about it until they get the product um and so for us it's like making sure the product quality is on point make sure the product price point is at a at a place where scale is achievable right we want like we we could have priced our stuff at 100 bucks and i don't think it would have been an issue but for us we wanted to be able to like coach women up or people up who are, who are the Target shoppers or the Forever 21 shoppers who are used to buying the $29.99 legging to get up to the $68 legging. And for those people, like those are the important people that we want them to feel good about spending a little bit more money because it is a better product and because it's helping the environment and it's helping people. And so I think that's where the emotional connection is, is, is from, from women who, yeah, like there's women out there that, that are used to paying the $100 price for Lululemon. They see us, who's you know, a little bit more, uh, less expensive, but then represent so many different things that they care about. Yeah, like those those women like are easy, but like I feel like the true evangelist that we get is, is the customers that are like, you know, I'm sort of done shopping at Forever 21. I'm done shopping at these fast fashion places. What are my alternatives? Um, where are places that I can invest my money in because I'm going to start caring? And once they see Girlfriend Collective, they see the product, they see that it lasts for a really long time. They see that, you know, it does everything that they need to do in terms of like, you know, product qualities in terms of performance and and what they need out of life. And that's where I feel like the evangelist is, you know, it's like, it's it's like the women that are like gaining into conscious consumerism for the first time um, and starting investing their dollars where, where it's like, you know, important to them, right? So it's important to have a product, obviously, that stands for itself, first and foremost, in order to draw these people in. Yeah, absolutely. I think product is always first. But if the product doesn't perform and you have all all this feel-good stuff, it's not going to do anything. You know, like you have a a piss-poor product and it helped 20 people at the end of the day, like that customer is not going to come back and last or if it didn't, if the quality wasn't high, right? I think... I think at the end of the day, people are, I'm not going to say selfish, right? People are buying things because they need something solved, right? Like I need activewear that performs. I need activewear to last long. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, it, it's a bonus if it's like, you know, environmentally friendly and ethically manufactured. I think once the product quality is up there and it does these things, the tertiary things is what people 
always talk about because that's what they want to share. You know, no one ever really shares like, oh, these leggings have lasted me a year. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think what people share is like, man, like these are really, really high quality and they're like made from water bottles and they're cut so ethically. For sure. So if an eco-creative or entrepreneur were just starting out today, what advice can you offer in terms of what it takes to get your uh, responsible brand seen or your voice heard in this in today's digitally driven landscape? I mean, yeah, I, think, I think having a really clear, concise story that is like one headline or less. I, mean, I think you can look at our brand and that's why we like stuck with the 25 water bottles because like one, it's a number and it's really easy to remember. Like, 25 water bottles from this pair of leggings um, is important. Just, I mean, it's storytelling, right? People want to read a, a really great headline and a great story in terms of like tying a story back to a product. But the other thing too is, is if you're trying to start a business in the you know eco-friendly world, for me, it's like, what are your competitors out there? What's their quality? And does your product, is it better or at least on par? And what's your price point? That's what it really comes down to. It's like, what's memorable about your product that, that someone can share about and to what's out there right now and is your product better than them or or at least you know on par that's what my advice would be if it is better and and you can shave a couple dollars off and you can make it price accessible um and you can have if you have something good to say about it like i think you know that's where you win right in the in the venn diagram of those three things there's a sweet spot in there that i think every person should should try to hit if they're trying to produce a product that's eco-friendly For sure. Well, I'm personally really excited about Girlfriend Collective because I know your uh, plastic bottles come from Taiwan and that's where I was born and raised. So I feel like I have this personal connection to these uh, clothing. And so I know you guys did a lot of research in terms of the recycling industry. And I'm curious, what's one of the most surprising things for you when you were like learning more about our current recycling industry? You know, I I feel like I feel like in the U.S., you know, I, I mean, it's, it's kind of, that's a loaded question, <laughs> but, you know, I think in the U.S. recycling industry, it's, it's, it's kind of, it, it comes from demand, you know, and, and, and policy. Thankfully, I live in, a, in Seattle. Um, I don't know where you live, but um, recycling is a policy in Seattle where you have to recycle or they won't pick up your garbage. And my mom's from Vietnam. She doesn't really care about recycling, but the only reason why she recycles is because she wants her garbage picked up. <laughs> <laughs> You know, and so I think recycling in, at least in the U.S., is a matter of like forcing people to do it um, and incentivizing them to do so, no matter what the cost is. You know, I think thankfully the recycling industry makes a ton of sense right now because there's a demand for recycled like, paper, especially like from China or plastic because they can buy it. But at some point, you know, China is not going to do it and then they're already doing so already, you know, and so. You know, how do we make our recycling industry in America much more robust? And that I think that really comes down to down to policy um, and public policy and making sure that we're not doing it because, you know, we feel good about it. We do it because we're forced to. And so I think the only way that we can grow the recycling industry is, you know, you have to, like, in some ways, force people to do it. And at some point, too, you know, I think in my research, especially with the plastic bottles thing, and this also affects, you know, America and, and what we're seeing, especially in Flint, um, Detroit, is, you know, Southeast Asia and Asia in general, they have extraordinary plastic water bottle problem. And that's because they can't drink their tap water, right? And so when you travel overseas, everyone says don't drink 
water, what do you do? You buy bottled water. And so there's an inordinate amount of bottles of water over in, in Southeast Asia. It's everywhere. And thankfully, you know, for at least Girlfriend Collective, we have the opportunity to do something with it. We can upcycle it and, to, and, and make clothes out of it, you know. Um, and there's the supply is pet plentiful. Um, and I think, and what that means for America is, is, you know, like one, and again, loaded question, I'm probably going off a tangent that you don't really, you Go know, for it. you're interested in hearing, but like, you're, you're stripping away public policy of making like safe drinking water out of the tap in places like Detroit. And what happens? People are afraid of drinking tap water. And so what do they do, they buy plastic water bottles, right? And now, you know, there's some articles out there and that, that you can read. I think Huffington posted an article, the plastic water bottle in, in Flint, Michigan. And so now there's tons of plastic water bottles. Like, what do they do? They just go to the landfill, they get incinerated, and they're not recycled. And so I think for us, is, is, is at least in our country, is, is how do we make sure that we're not moving backwards, right? Yeah. Uh, because once we move backwards, it's really, really hard to start cleaning stuff up. You know, and you can see that clearly in the, these countries that I wouldn't say that are, are developing, you know, because, yeah, like you go to Vietnam, you, you go to Taiwan even, you know, these countries are developed. You know, they have highways, they have trains, they have roads, but like, you know, um, environmental policy is a huge thing because they can't drink their drinking water because they dump, you know, dyes into the rivers. They, they do all these different things because they let industry dictate policy, right? And that's where I feel like we could be heading in America. As you can see, like Scott Pruitt and the EPA. So. so on an individual level, what do you think a single consumer can do to help improve the recycling industry in the States? To e- either like support policy that can better regulate it or... Yeah, I think, I think your vote counts, right? I think every vote counts. And so that's, that's obviously one really important thing. And, you know, I think one talking about it is really important talking about you know the people that are close to you and, and showing examples of what happens i think the other thing too is where do you spend your dollars you know i think fast fashion is still one of the biggest industries in the world um and that's why you know part of the reason why we launched GoFund collective and why we put a price point to where it is you know is because we want to be able to make an alternative for consumers to be able to buy responsibly made goods outside of like what's what they're used to and so, you know, I think as a consumer, consumer, the first question is, is like, you know, one, being educated, and two, you know, where are you putting your dollars in, and who are you voting for? And I think at an individual level, that's that's the most you can do, right? For and sure. So I think, you know, at some point there will be a tipping point because if everyone starts saying, okay, I'm not going to stop buying from H and M, and people are doing it, uh, you know, then H and M has to has to change, you know. I think the last quarter report, they had like a huge inventory problem and, you know, they're moving towards, you know, not being able to push a ton of stuff, you know, and they're looking into more sustainable alternatives, you know, and I think that's a lesson that, you know, fast fashion companies have to learn. It's like, where are consumers spending the dollars? Oh, they're not spending the dollars in my shop because, you know, I represent these things. So maybe I have to change. For sure. Well, what's one next exciting thing coming up for Girlfriend Collective that we can look forward to and where can we follow your work online? We have a couple of new products coming out and a couple of different par- uh, partnerships that I can probably share with you. Uh, you know, we're, we're excited to start doing wholesale um, because one for us, it's all about scale and how much impact we can have and being able to 
partner with with the right retailers is super important for us, um, especially in a retail scenario. You know, like I said before, I hated wholesale, but I think as we've been in this business and, and what we can achieve, being able to have our stuff on a shelf and for someone to try us on and see our price point makes a ton of sense because once they try it on, it's pretty much, you know, a, a done deal mm-hmm. as long as they can understand the story. And that's going to be the challenging part. And, and we're partnering up with, you know, our first retail store is, is uh, Reformation. So exciting. Yeah, our stuff is going to be sold there at all their stores um, in starting in June. And then in July, you know, we're offering a new product. It's a, it's a new lighting product, you know, um, from our customer feedback. Our, our compressive product is a little bit too compressed for some, or it's a little bit too thick, and people wanted something thinner and super flexible for their hot yoga or just lounging around the house and doing nothing. And we wanted to be able to make a product that does just that. We, you know, we spent the last year and a half developing a brand new product um, that's super thin but still shearproof, um, has a ton of stretch, so you're super comfortable. <laughs> yeah. And the exciting thing is, it's it's being made out of ocean plastic and recycled fishing nets from the ocean. And uh, you know we partner with a bunch of nonprofits to actually you know, recycle spent fishing nets from developing communities, uh, and to be able to you know provide income so they can you know do other things outside of fishing you know, like seaweed farming. And so there's a bunch of really great stories there that we're excited to share with this new product. And, and really, those are the two new things that we're excited about. Is just you know how do we share our story uh, story in a retail setting, and how do we continue to be forward in our product development, offer things that one, clean up the environment, and two, you know, really perform um, and make people feel comfortable and want to share our stuff. Before we go into our final five, here's some words of wisdom from Priyanka, who's the co-founder of this episode's sponsor, Connecta. Based on her experience being the founder of a purpose-driven venture herself, she said, Quote, success isn't as easy as XYZ. The toughest pill to swallow is realizing that these things take time, especially when you're fighting for a cause so dear to you but so distant from the majority. So learn to celebrate the small wins and remember that you are surrounded by other conscious entrepreneurs striving to build a better future for us all. End quote. Green Dreamer, know that you're not alone. And if you're the owner of a conscious retailer trying to streamline your buying process, or the owner of a conscious fashion and lifestyle brand hoping to reach a global audience through wholesale, know that you can do so and that you can connect with similarly passionate people looking for what you have to offer through the Connecta platform. It's free to sign up and apply. To learn more and get started, you can head to connecta.co. That's K-A-N-E-K-T-A dot C-O. And now to our final five and key takeaways. Let's power through. What's one publication or social media account you follow for inspiration? Me? I'm a, I'm a dude, so it's kind of hard. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> I follow, I follow, um, I'm a car guy. I don't know if this is, this is even relevant to what we're talking about. It's but okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh Bring a trailer. It's a really nice Instagram account because they show old cars for really cheap, and I love kind of old cars. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, what's something you do for your health weekly? I'm, I've been on the Instapot diet. I sort of a diet I made myself, where it's like very low carbs and just a ton of veggies and 
and a um, you know, and a protein, and I press this button, and 30 minutes later, I have a pretty healthy meal. <laughs> <laughs> Convenient. Um, what's one simple action we can take for our planet's health this week? Uh, don't use plastic straws. Simple. What do you tell yourself to stay inspired? Uh, man, what do I tell myself? It's all worth it. What makes you most hopeful for our planet right now? Millennials. And any final words of wisdom for our green dreamers? Keep on doing this. You know, keep on talking about it. Keep on buying products that, you know, change the world. Because money talks at the end of the day, you know. Dollars start disappearing from the people that are, that are doing the same thing for the, you know, for the last however many years. They're, they'll change. But I think the, the most important thing is, you know, don't fall into trends. Don't fall into what's hot. But fall into what's really, really important about, you know, about the earth and, and about, you know, the people around you. Keep talking about sustainability and keep voting with your dollars. Green Dreamer, here are my two key takeaways. Number one, if we're selling eco products and services, we have to make sure that the products and services can stand alone and can wow people alone without the do-good elements. Because like Kwong said, people usually buy to solve a problem, or in the case of fashion, maybe buy based on style and performance, first and foremost. From their experience, only after that can the emotional connection to the brand's mission actually turn into customer loyalty. So we have to optimize the performance, functionality, style, and price point of our products and services first, and then story tell the mission behind our brands to foster that emotional connection and to give people a feel-good reason to continually share through word of mouth. Number two, vote vote in terms of policy and vote with our dollars. In both of these cases, it's easy to feel like we're just individual people and our choices are so petty, they can't move in the needle, they can't really do much. But when we can align our political preferences and actually change regulations, that would mean systemic change that would make a massive difference on a large scale. And with an economy that's driven largely by consumer spending, where we spend our money really makes a difference. So keep raising awareness, keep supporting policies that support our health and environmental health, keep asking questions, and keep supporting brands with values that you personally champion. You matter and you're making a difference. But there, that's a wrap for this episode. Find the episode references and link to our sponsor, Connecta, at greendreamer.com. Get in touch with me on Instagram at Kamea Shane and email me at hello at greendreamer.com to share feedback on what I can do to improve the show for you or just any takeaways you want to share with me. I love hearing from you, so thank you if you get a chance to do that. And finally, just remember... Now more than ever, our planet needs your light to thrive. So if you haven't yet, hit subscribe and Green Dreamer, I will catch you later.